Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is February 19, 2011. If you would like me to create a Bible study addressing a desired topic, then please email me at kennard at mercifulservantsofgod.com with your request. Additionally, please let us know what your needs are, because everyone does have needs, uh, so that we can pray with you to God about it. Uh, This can be biblical knowledge, which I provide each and every week, but it's not specific. You may have a topic that you want me to address, either, either privately or maybe openly for everyone else to know. Please let us know. Uh, career counseling. Many people today are struggling. Uh, don't have jobs. Uh, I can help you with that as far as giving you advice on how to find one. Uh, marriage counseling. Uh, food. Uh, we can pray to God to get you food, or if God blesses us with some money, perhaps we could help you get some food. A job. Uh, debt relief. Healing from sickness. Clothes. Shelter. And more vocational education that will help you generate more money. Uh, please uh, feel free to email us with your requests and your needs. And we'll pray to God uh, to provide those needs. After all, God states that, and this can apply to anyone who is considered righteous, a righteous person is not a perfect person, but it's a person who tries to obey God to the best of their ability. It says in uh, James chapter 5, a righteous man's prayer availeth much. So please take advantage of that. Anyway, um, I spoke to someone. I'm not going to give his name or whatever, but... Uh, it kind of really got me angry, and I'm sure God was angry at the conversation. Uh, this individual should know better that uh, the church that he was originally a part of taught correctly that the Sabbath should be kept and the Holy Day should be kept. And the reason why they should be kept ultimately is because Christ kept them. And in, in 1 John 2, verse 6, it states that he is our example, and we should, well, it doesn't say he's example, but it says we should follow his footsteps in that particular scripture. Okay, so one of the things he did with his feet, he walked every uh, Saturday or Shabbat to a Jewish synagogue, and he spent time with his people, and he taught the scriptures, and uh, he listened to the scriptures. That's one of the things that he did each and every week. That's revealed in Luke chapter 4. All right, and he tells uh, his, um, the apostle who, or disciple who he loved, John, he wrote, uh, some epistles, and plus the uh, the book of Revelation. He stated that we ought to follow in his footsteps. Now, in 1 John 2, verse 6 states that, now, if you're not following him in his footsteps, 
then what does that say and what does that mean basically? That that means that you're not really a true believer of Yeshua or Jesus. Yeshua is his Hebrew name. And I'm just trying to put it as, as clearly as I can and nicely as I can, but uh, there's many Christians thinking that they are following the true Jesus. And the true Jesus did not come uh, to uh, keep the law for us so we don't have to. And, and unfortunately, that's what Christianity teaches today. Um, I'm going to explain to you today one of the, the, the uh, major scriptures that a lot of ministers, I don't know if they're sincere or not, or they know, know better or not, I, I, they know any better or not, only God knows. But uh, Galatians 5 verse 3 is, is a scripture that is very, very poorly understood and interpreted. And that scripture is used to say, hey, we don't have to keep the whole law. Of course, they assume that they understand what the whole law means in that context. And what I mean by context, not only the, the context of where the scripture is located, but also in the context of Jewish history. You have to understand the Jews, folks, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand it fully. All right? And God tells us that to increase in knowledge and wisdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, folks, I don't know if this is going to hurt your feelings or whatever, but Jesus is a Jew. All right? So if he's a Jew, then you must understand the Jewish people. If you don't want to understand the Jewish people, if you think the Jews are all damned, which the Bible doesn't say they are, okay, uh, they are still part of his plan, then you don't love Jesus. You love another Jesus. You love some Jesus that uh, the Catholic Church created that uh, said it's okay to, um, to change the Sabbath to Sunday which that's not found in the Bible. Matter of fact, one of uh, Cardinal Gibbons, uh, one of the uh, most powerful bishops at the time, stated that there's no way on earth, or in heaven, I guess, uh, <laughs> that you can prove from Genesis to Revelation that the Sabbath was done away based on the Scriptures. But then he said, well, we are the Catholic Church, and we have the authority now, so we have the right to change the uh, the Christian Sabbath or the Jewish Sabbath, which is anyone's Sabbath based on uh, Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 27, um, it states plainly that, well, let's go there. Let's go there to prove my point about the Sabbath. And we need to pay attention to what Christ said, folks. Christ said a lot of things that you probably weren't taught because the ministers skip over those scriptures or they weren't taught those scriptures. And my job is to teach you the scriptures they haven't taught you, okay? And one of them is Mark 2, verse 27. And this is from, this is in red letters. If you have a King James Version, this is in red letters. So you can't say that this not come, did not come from his mouth, Jesus' mouth. Mark 2, verse 27. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man. And do you see the word Jew in there? You know, anyone that sees the word Jew, let me know, okay? I don't see the word Jew. It says the Sabbath was made for man. And that word man in the original Greek means mankind. Okay, mankind, a human being, man. Okay, it was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath day was made for man to observe, not just a Jewish man. That's a plain scripture. And then, of course, we have the, the false minister saying, well, that's not what he meant. He meant just the Jews. Well, what does it say there? Are we going to believe what Jesus is saying in red letters, or are we going to believe what we want to believe? See, that that's the thing that everybody's going to have to face before his throne one day. 
if you don't overcome in this in this life. You're going to have to face that question. If you're hearing me or anyone else teaching you the truth, and you still think that, oh, well, my parents can't be wrong, my minister can't be wrong, I can't be wrong. Well, you know, if you feel that way, then God's going to tell you that you're wrong. Okay, and then, you know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want God telling me that I'm wrong about something. And then I have to reap the consequences of that at that time. You know, that's going to be horrifying. So please listen up. And you think I'm wrong, well, hey, get your Bible out and look at these scriptures. All I'm going to do is quote you scriptures, as I always do in this program. And if that's boring to you, go do something else, okay? That's all I do is quote scriptures. And that's all God's going to do. Yeah, had his throne. He's going to quote one scripture after the next and say, look, this is what I said. And you knew about this. How come you didn't do that? And you better not act like you bored at that time, or you're not going to have a chance of being in this kingdom. So anyway, um, the whole issue here with this scripture, okay, and I'm going to quote it here in a minute, but I'm going to give you some background information so you'll understand why Paul said this, okay? Now, first of all, what you need to understand is that Peter, one of the top apostles, stated this about Paul's epistles. And people just don't seem to understand this scripture. But it tells you that you're going to have to be careful when you read Paul's epistles because they're tricky. And the reason why they're tricky is if you don't understand Jewish history, if you don't understand Jewish background, then you're going to automatically assume, oh, well, Paul said that the law is done away with. We don't have to keep the law no more. We can do whatever we want to do. Come on, let's go get him in adultery. Okay? You're going to feel that way. So let me quote this scripture in Second Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 15 to 16, to begin this Bible study. And I tried to break this down as simple as I can. I can I can really go into detail and talk advanced, but that's not the purpose of any person that's trying to teach God's Word. You should break it down so that anybody, even a child, can understand. And that's what I'm doing. I'm not, I can easily, and my wife knows this, I can easily start, sound scholarly and, talk all kinds of, say all kinds of different type of words and, and, and sources that you have no clue about. But I'm not going to do that. That's not the purpose of, of any true preacher of God. You want to make yourself clear to everyone, and that's what I'm trying to do. Of course, for those who want more information, just email me. I have all plenty of information to give you about this. So much so, it's going to take you probably a month to study it. So Second uh, Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15. It is in the King James Version. An account, the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, meaning that all the suffering that we go through, the long-suffering, will result in salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you. Verse 16, as also in all his epistles, or his writings, okay, speaking in them of these things in which are some things, not everything, but some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures into their own destruction. So what he's saying here, and I didn't really understand this until probably the last five years ago. Uh, five years ago I started to understand this. But what he's really talking about here is, the unlearned and the unstable are individuals that don't understand the Jewish background of the Bible. They deny that Jesus is a Jew, or if they understand he's a Jew, then they, they seem to deny 
uh, that uh, has nothing to do with me understanding the uh, the Bible. Uh, the Holy Spirit helps me understand the Bible. What does the Holy Spirit come from? Okay, the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus and God. Okay, so that's where it comes from. All right, so the Holy Spirit is Jewish too. Do you understand that? You know, the Holy Spirit is Jewish. All right, you have a Jewish spirit. Okay, spirit is how you think, how you act. Okay, you it has life, and that life has something to do with with Jew, or Judaism, being a Jew. All right, so we we gotta stop all this anti-Semitism. Zechariah, let's turn to Zechariah chapter eight. Scripture popping in my brain here. Okay, and in verse twenty-three is a prophecy. Zechariah 8, verse 23. And you can argue with me or God all you want about this. This is a prophecy. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it states that the church is based, the assembly of God, that's what church really means, assembly of congregation, is based on the foundation of the apostles, and that's it? No, the prophets, okay? And Zechariah here is one of the prophets. So the church's foundation is based on what I'm about to read to you right now. Okay, in verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all language, of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a, is the Pope, is um, the Ayatollah Khomeini, um, uh, top Buddhist, whatever he call himself, top Buddhist uh, religious figure. Uh, no, a Jew, a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Okay? That's from the prophet Zechariah, who you may have never heard of before. I don't know. But he's in the Bible. I encourage you to read all the prophetic books, especially now the way the Middle East is. Uh, and I may do a Bible study on that perhaps next week. I don't know, but I will. Uh, things are getting really bad. And then over in our country here, uh, I knew this was going to happen eventually because the prophecies state that. Uh, we are suffering here in this country so bad now that it's starting to come out. With Wisconsin, the people are complaining about their benefits being taken away by that Republican governor and, and so forth. You know, So things are really getting tough, folks. And if you have never been woke up before about Bible prophecy, you better be woke up now. Because things are going to be really tough for this country unless we repent of our willingness to accept homosexuality, unless we repent of our abominable killing of babies uh, every year. 1.1 or 1.2 million babies are destroyed every year. I'm sure there's some minor cases where it's justifiable if the woman's uh, life is in danger, but those cases are far and far in between. The majority of cases, I would estimate about between 97 and 98% are because they don't want the baby. They don't want the baby. And God, I'll tell you one thing. If you know that you're doing, know what you're doing, and you're doing that, and you don't care, then you don't expect God to care about you. I don't expect God to care about your life. Because he says vengeance is his, and you got to understand now, vengeance is his, because he, he doesn't want us to execute vengeance, because we're not capable of doing it, okay? He is. And if you doctors, if there's any doctors listening to me, if you know that what you're doing is wrong, and I, don't, I can't see how anyone can see killing a baby is not wrong, okay? God is going to judge you severely for that. And you better be praying that you won't be killed yourself. 
All right? So it's a very, very serious. And for God to continue to allow this country to even survive with us killing babies like we have since 1973 with the abominable uh, court ruling that abortion is legal, Roe versus Wade, one of the most abominable rulings in the history of the United States court system, of, of the Supreme Court, uh, tells you how loving he is and merciful. But that mercy runs out eventually, folks. And I know he doesn't like, even as I'm speaking, babies are being killed in this country and around the world for no reason other than I don't want the baby. I mean, that's ridiculous. I know that the people that do this, do they ever think of the fact that their parents allowed them to live? No. It's an act of selfishness. Obama. I respect my president, but I don't respect the way he acts and what he says at times, okay? And he is all for abortion. And then, you know, a family member, I ain't going to state his name, but he got all angry because I didn't vote for Obama. I didn't vote for Obama because he's for killing babies and he's for homosexuality. I'm not going to vote for that because God is totally against that. When you vote for somebody, you're supporting that person. You're saying, hey... I trust this person to lead me. I don't trust anybody to lead me but God and anyone that follows God. And they got to show me through their fruits and their actions, not what they say. And Obama is not showing me by his actions that he is totally following God. And that's why I didn't vote for him. All right, so um, as I'm stating here, you must have a good understanding of Jewish history in the first century to understand what Paul wrote at you. In actuality, to understand the Bible, period, in a, in, a, in, in a complete way. And if you don't, you're going to have an impartial understanding of the Bible. Uh, you, need, you need to be either taught by a Jew or through the Holy Spirit, which is Jewish, because <laughs> it comes from God who came in the form of a man who was a Jewish man. Okay, so that, that's something that you have to understand there. And there's another scripture, too. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, that tells you that Jesus Christ has something to do with the, uh, the Spirit of God. Let's see if I can find it here. If not, I'm gonna have to find it next time here. Let's see. Okay, looks like, but there I know there's a scripture that that associates the spirit of God with with Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll, I'll remember during the Bible study, but hopefully I'll find that one. But anyway, now this is something that you need to understand. The Jews believe that God gave Moses two laws or two Torahs. Now in the King James version, that the, the word law uh, Torah is translated law should be Torah. One written and one oral. The written Torah is, of course, what uh, the Bible, basically, uh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, because uh, the Jews don't believe in the New Testament, but the New Testament is also part of the Torah. And then one oral. So, And then they believe that this oral law was passed on from Moses to Joshua, etc., all the way down the line, and they believe that that oral law is impeccable and that that is no mistakes in that oral law. All right? So when Paul talks about 
or talked about. He only talks, actually in the New Testament, the, the whole tour is only mentioned two times, and it's pretty interesting in each case. Um, now, in the case of Galatians chapter 5, let's read that right here real quick. Galatians chapter 5. Now, whenever Paul talks about yokes in the context of the law, he's talking about, and he has to be, because I'm going to quote these other scriptures to prove to you that God's law is not not a yoke of bondage. He has to be talking about the application or the interpretation of that law, which is the orator, uh, according to the Jews. And the orator was not written down into... um, 200, around 200, 250 A.D. Because at the time they were being persecuted by the Romans and they were like, what are they going to do with our traditions because uh, oral law traditions or interpretation of the Bible because uh, we're going to be scattered. So they decided to write it down into a book called the Mishnah. The Mishnah eventually became the Talmud, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I can go into further detail about it, but if you guys want more information about that, let me know. Okay, But... During a period of time of Jesus and his disciples, um, the oral Torah was, was held just as important or even more important than the written Torah because the oral Torah was the interpretation of the written Torah. And it's the traditions on how to keep the written Torah. Now, this is something that most people don't understand. Jesus and his followers had issues with the oral Torah. When it, when it destroyed the intended meaning of, and I mean destroyed, the intended meaning of a particular scripture or teaching of the written Torah. Like, let me give you an example about the Noahide laws. The Noahide laws, there's only seven laws that people that aren't Jewish are required to, to obey, and they're okay. I mean, that that is nowhere, and they get this off a misinterpretation that's found in the first five books of the Bible, um, the, the part in Genesis where it talks about Noah after he came out of the ark and so forth. They get that misinterpretation from that. Now, that's in the Mishnah, that's in the Mishnah and the Talmud. Okay, but that's not in the Bible. So that that's an example of their oral tradition that destroys the, the true intended meaning of that particular scripture. Okay? So that those are the kind of things that Jesus nailed to the cross. He didn't nail the written Torah to the, to the cross. But see... If you were raised in a Catholic or Protestant church, you would never have heard this, more than likely, from from uh, from uh, from me or anyone else. You would have been raised to believe that the law of Moses is a separate law from God and that it, it should be despised. And it was so hard, and it was just a yoke of bondage, and it should have been nailed to the cross. Okay? That, that's, that's what you were taught. I was taught that. I was a Catholic. I was an altar boy, and I was raised in that mess. And I was taught that. I was taught that. I was taught that, hey, we just go obey what the Pope says. And see, the, the ironic thing about it is that each religion had their own Talmud and had their own oral tradition, too. There's nothing wrong with traditions if the tradition doesn't violate God's law. We all have traditions. But those traditions, like, you know, the 4th of July, how is that violating God's law? You're celebrating freedom from oppression, from financial uh, uh Financial oppression, okay? My tongue got twisted there. From the British, because it was no representation without taxation, right? 
or no taxation without representation, whatever. I get it mixed up, okay? But it was basically about money, and it seems to always be about money. Right now in Europe, what what what, what are they revolting against? Money in Egypt, in the, in the Middle East, money. They don't have no money. They don't have no. It's always about socioeconomics that people just get so wound up about everything, and then what that does eventually is cause wars. It causes wars. And it's just uh, it's unfortunate that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is. So anyway, to, to recap here, uh, Jesus and his followers had issues with the orator when it was destroyed. When it when the orator destroyed the intended meaning of a particular scripture or teaching of the written Torah. Now let's let's look at some scriptures to explain that. This is all in the Bible, folks. Okay, I'm trying to break this down as simple as I can. You got to get out of this, well, my minister was right about everything, mode, because I'm telling you, he's not. Or, in some cases, she's not, okay? They're not right about what they're teaching you if you continue to go to church on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with assembling on Sunday, okay? It's wrong to say that Sunday is the Shabbat, is the Sabbath. That's what's wrong, okay? God commands us to work six days a week, and to rest one day. Even doctors say that, it, that you need to rest at least one day. We can't just work every day. That's where we get, I know people, may, and you may never realize this before, thank God it's Friday. Why do people say thank God it's Friday? You ever wonder that? Why people instinctively say thank God it's Friday? Because God naturally intended for all of mankind to prepare for the Sabbath day. And Friday is the sixth day of the week. And I know I remember this song, this one guy wrote, Thank God it's you know but but <laughs> I just got paid this Friday night and you know, it's time to party, right? But but basically God has given us a, a desire to party on the Sabbath, uh, to celebrate on the Shabbat. That's the way it should be. So um let's turn to Mark chapter seven. Starting in verse 1. It says, Then came together to him the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ancient version of the rabbis today. Okay? The Jewish rabbis of today, the Orthodox. And certain other scribes which came from Jerusalem. Scribes are Torah teachers, like myself. Verse 2. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. Now, this is, as you're going to see, this is not something that's written out of the, uh, the law of God or the law of Moses. This is something that they made up through their own tradition of interpreting the Scriptures. Okay? Verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, off eat not holding the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders is the oral Torah. Whenever you see tradition of the elders... Custom of Moses. Our customs is talking about the oral Torah, which is the interpretation of the written Torah. Some of it, most of it is correct, some of it is wrong. And this is a case where it is wrong. Okay? Uh, verse 4 And when they came from the market, except they washed, they eat not. 
and many other things there be, many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and bracing vessels. And let's see if I can use it as another version here. All right, uh, so in verse 2, uh, an easy-to-read version of the Bible. They saw that some of the flowers are, uh, ate food with hands that were not clean, meaning that they did not wash their hands in a special way. The Pharisees and all other Jews never eat before washing their hands in this special way. They do this to follow the traditions they have from their great leaders who lived long ago. Okay, that's an excellent translation there. All right, so that that really explains things a little better there. And when these Jews buy something in the market, they never eat it until they wash it in a special way. This special way is not described in the Bible, folks. They also follow other rules from their people who lived before them. They follow rules like the washing of cups, pitchers, and pots. Verse 5. The Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Your your followers don't follow the traditions we have from our great leaders who lived long ago. Remember I told you that they believe, Jews believe, even today, in all their branches, I think, uh, even though the reformers don't, don't really keep the orator. But anyway, uh, the majority of them believe that God gave Moses two laws or two Torahs, one written, one oral. And then they believed that Moses passed it on to Joshua, and Joshua passed it on to whoever, and so forth, all the way down the line. So that's what they believe. And then in verse 5, it says, you, you, Your followers don't follow the traditions we have from our great leaders who lived long ago. They eat their food with hands that are not clean. Why do they do this? And then his, this was Christ's response. Jesus answered, You are all hypocrites. <laughs> Isaiah was right when he wrote, these words from God about you, these people honor me with their words, but I am not really important to them. Verse 7, their worship of me is worthless. The things they teach are only human rules. God is not interested in human rules unless those rules match with his rules. Okay. Verse 8, you have stopped following God's commands, preferring instead the man-made rules you got from others. And that's what was nailed to the cross, folks. <laughs> not the written Torah. Then he said, you show great skill in avoiding the commands of God so that you can follow your own teachings. And, you know, not just Jews, but other religions do the same thing. Me and my wife got through being in a crazy church that believes that this man is a prophet, he's that prophet, and that all the books, of the prophetic books of the Bible are talking about him. What nerve, what arrogance to think that. That's an example of a, of a tradition, a a stupid tradition, I may add, that makes the law of God of none effect. And then and, and he gives an example, Mark 7, verse 10. Moses said, you must respect your father and mother. He also said, whoever says anything bad to their father and mother must be killed. Verse 11, but you teach that people can say to their father and mother, I have something I could use to help you, but I will not use it for you. I will give it to God. <laughs> verse 12, you are telling people that they do not have to do anything for their father and mother. And that is in total violation of God's law. Verse, uh, Mark 7, verse 13. So you are teaching that it is not important to do what God said. You think it is more important to follow those traditions you have, which you pass on to others. And you do many things like that. Another thing with our church, too, there was an exact requirement that a man comes to church services with a suit and a tie. And if he didn't, uh, that man was ostracized because of that. Where is that in the Bible? Some men don't have suits. What are you going to do, persecute them because they don't have any suits? 
You know, so, I mean, that's an example of of what he's talking about here. And the Jews are guilty of it, but many other religions are as well. And then Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is not a, it's a, I guess uh, maybe a slightly different version of it. Yeah, I see you five seven zero two three four seven eight three two. You on the air? Hello. Yeah, I didn't. I yes. didn't really want to be on the air. I was just like this thing in on the phone. I didn't press one, so I guess. But I guess. Oh, I okay. Be on. But. You want me to take you off then? Yeah, that's fine. I was just listening in, so. Yeah, because I'm not through yet, so I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, so let me get back here. Uh, I know this is a very controversial topic, and I just want to get this done here because I know I may be saying some things that you may may not have heard of before, or maybe you have heard it, and it wasn't proved properly. So I'm going to try to do that. Uh, as best as I can here. All right, so let's let's look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. And yes, there is an easy-to-read version. Okay, by the way, it's not me just joking. There is an actual version of the Bible called the easy-to-read version. Anyway, Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees, which I told you is the modern rabbis of today, particularly the Orthodox, some Pharisees and teachers of the law, and that's what a scribe is, a teacher of the law, came to Jesus. They came from Jerusalem and asked him, verse 2, why do your followers not obey the traditions we have from our great leaders who lived long ago? Here we go again, talking about the oral Now, if you don't believe me about the go go ask any Jew. Research on on Google about oral Torah, and it will tell you that Jews believe that God gave Moses two Torahs or laws, one written, one oral, and then that Oral law was transmitted from Moses to Joshua and to everyone else. Okay, so that that can be easily proven. Verse two: Why do you why do do your followers not obey the traditions we have from our great leaders who lived long ago, which is the Orator? You you your followers don't wash their hands before they eat. In verse three, Jesus answered, and why do you refuse to obey God's commands that you can follow those traditions you have? <laughs> verse four: You. God said, you must respect your father and mother. This is Matthew 15, verse 4. And God also said, whoever says anything bad to their father and mother must be killed. And that's found in the in the Torah, in the first five books in, the, in the, the book of the law. Verse 5. But you teach that a person can say to their father or mother, I have something I could use to help you, but I will not use it for you. I will give it to God. In verse 6, you are teaching them not to respect their fathers. So you are teaching that it is not important to do what God said. You think it is more important to follow those traditions you have. And like I want to add here, it's not just with Jews. This is with all religions. They, they have a problem with their traditions, some of them anyway, going against God's law. And those traditions are so much more important than doing what God says. That problem was prevalent in the first century as well as today. It's the same thing. All right, verse 7. You are hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he spoke for God about you. Verse 8. These people honor me with their words, but I am really, but I am not really important to them. Verse 9. Their worship of me is worthless. The things they teach are only human rules. 
Okay, so that, again, God is not interested in human rules unless those rules line up with his rules. All right, so I, I tried to break that down as, as easy as I can here. Now, Jesus kept the oral Torah when it did not conflict with the written Torah. Now, the law or Torah of God is not a yoke that no one can bear. Let me quote some scriptures here. I'm going to start with the <laughs> the popular Acts, uh, chapter 15, that a lot of ministers use to say, hey, we don't have to keep the law, but hopefully after I've explained to you a background here, you'll understand what law they're talking about. Okay, uh, Acts, chapter 15. I'm going to get to the matter... Well, before I do that, I want to explain to you that the law of God is not a yoke. It's not very so burdensome to keep, okay? And there's scriptures that prove that. So Acts chapter 15, I'm going to get to explaining what the manner of Moses quoted in Acts 15 verse 1 really means, okay? Based on what the scriptures state. But anyway, Acts 15 uh, starting in verse 7. After a long debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, I am sure you remember what happened in the early days. God chose me from among you to tell the good news to those who are not Jewish. Okay? So God chose him to tell the good news to those who are not Jewish, which in a sense is a fulfillment, uh, a pre-fulfillment anyway, of Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 to 23, where ten nations are going to go and grab home to the skirt of a Jew and say, Hey, we're going to follow you because God is with you. Okay? So the law, see, the Jews at this time thought that to, to, to have salvation, to have salvation, you must become a Jew. And they did it through a, a circumcision ritual that, that they were teaching people that God told Moses orally to do. But that's not the case because even Jesus stated himself uh, in John 7, verse 22, that circumcision was before Moses. Actually, God gave Abraham the circumcision law. Okay, and that's in Genesis chapter 17. But anyway, uh, in verse 7, after a long debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, I am sure you remember what happened in the early days. God chose me from among you to tell the good news of those who are not Jewish. It was from me that they heard the good news and believed. So prior to that, Peter just thought that the good news or what Jesus was talking about was just for the Jews. As a matter of fact, Jews just thought the law was just for the Jews. But God has stated quite a few times, even in the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, that the law is for everyone, ultimately. And I can prove that to you. Just, you can just jot Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. It says the whole duty of man is to keep the commandments of God. Does it say, does it say Jewish in that? In Isaiah 66, verse 22 to 23, states that, from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall worship me. So the Sabbath is going to be kept by all of mankind, based on those two scriptures alone. And there's many others. But uh, in Acts 15, verse 8, God knows everyone, even their thoughts, and he accepted these non-Jewish people. He showed us, he showed this to us by giving them the Holy Spirit the same as he did to us. To God, and this is a significant statement, I don't think anyone that uses Acts chapter 15 to state that the law is done away with, uh, I don't think they really understand what these scriptures are saying. It's pretty clear to me. Acts 15 verse 9, to God, those people are not different from us. All right, those people are not different from us. Different means that 
is something that is not similar. But what he's saying here to God, not to your minister or whatever, but to God, those people are not different from us when they believe God made their, their hearts pure. Okay, now, the pivotal verse here, verse 10, in the easy-to-read version. So now, why are you putting a heavy burden around the necks of the non-Jewish followers of Jesus? Are you trying to make God angry? We and our fathers were not able to carry that burden. Okay? And verse 11, no, we believe that we and these people will be saved the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. All right? So that's how any of us are going to be saved by Jesus, not by, by keeping a law. However, James, uh, John's, I mean, Jesus' brother, John, stated in James chapter 2 of his epistle that faith must have works. So you have to prove to God that you do believe him. That's when the law-keeping comes into play. And also the law-keeping, as I'm going to prove to you today, has something to do with spiritual circumcision, getting the evil and wickedness out of your brain. That's what circumcision, the, Abra the, the Abrianic cir circumcision, should represent. You cutting out the sin out of your life. Okay? That's what circumcision points to, and I'm going to prove that to you today. So, anyway, so we have here that it's saying, and then the ministers uh, that don't know any better, they, they preach, okay, well, the law of Moses, and, and they think the law of Moses is separate from the law of God, uh, is burdensome and it's a yoke. So uh, we don't want to burden the Gentiles with that. And so they teach that the law has been done away with because of that, not understanding that what's really being talked about here is the oral traditions or the interpretations of that law. And I'm going to prove that to you. So, first of all, what I want to do is prove to you that the law of God is not a yoke that no one can bear. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. Matthew 23, verse 4. Now, this is in the easy-to-read version of the Bible again. And this is talking about the oral Torah, and this is from Jesus' own mouth. Matthew 23, verse 4. They make strict rules that are hard for people to obey. That's the oral law again. That's the oral Torah. If anybody's read the Mishnah, I've, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read certain parts of it. It is difficult. They have, let me give you an example. They have 39 laws on how to keep the Sabbath. 39. And in the Bible, it has a simple, you, you turn to Isaiah chapter 58 toward the end. God says, don't have your own thoughts. Don't I mean, well. Let's turn there. Isaiah. It's, it's very simple. I mean, God makes things simple. We like to make things difficult. Isaiah chapter fifty-eight. And this this is clear instruction on how to keep the Sabbath in one paragraph. Okay, Isaiah fifty-eight, and then you you have uh, of course you're not supposed to do any work for profit on the Sabbath. Although you could help and visit a widow help feed somebody, those are things that are worthy to do on the Sabbath. And if you're a nurse or a doctor, if there's an emergency situation, of course you got to do what you got to do. Uh, taking care of the poor is a seven-day, <laughs> you have to do that every day. You just can't stop and, and let someone die, you know, so God doesn't expect you to do that. But anyway, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, that will happen, it's an easy reversion, that will happen when you stop sinning against God's law about the Sabbath, when you stop doing things to please yourself on that special day. So, first of all, we're not supposed to do anything that pleases ourselves on that special day, okay? Everything should be done in the glory of God. 
on that day. You should call the Sabbath a happy day. It should be a happy day. You should bounce up and down and rejoice on that day. You should honor the Lord's special day by not saying and doing things that you do every other day of the week. So in other words, it shouldn't be a day that is a you know, like any other day of the week. Simple commands. And then, of course, uh, in Exodus chapter 20, it tells you uh, no servile work. In other words, work for profit on the Sabbath. That's how you obey today. But yet, in the oral tour and the Mishnah, is 39 different ways, some of them make sense, some of them don't, on how to keep the Sabbath. The conflicts that he had with the Pharisees about the Sabbath was not him breaking the Sabbath. It was breaking their oral interpretation of the Sabbath. That's what the problem was. And I didn't understand that until recently. So let's go back here. So Matthew chapter 23, they make strict rules that are hard for people to obey, which has a lot to do with the orator. They try to force others to obey all their rules, but they themselves will not try to follow any of those rules. Yeah, and that's true. They're hypocrites, you know, a lot of them. So, uh, and then Matthew chapter 11, like I, me and my wife remember this church we were in, they were telling people not to go to doctors. You know that, and that's not even in Jewish traditional writings. Uh, they say it's wise to go to a doctor. Even Christ talked about physicians, and then Luke was a physician. So God is not against doctors. What He's against is you relying on them too much. Okay, that's what He's against. But of course, common sense tells you if you have a bullet in your head, just like unfortunately that woman congressman, are you going to say, okay, God, take the bullet away? No, you're going to go to a hospital, and they're going to get the uh, the bullet out of your brain, and then you'll pray to God and do whatever you got to do to for healing. Okay, you you break your bone. What are you going to do? Of course, you can pray to God to heal it, and He could. But there's nothing wrong with going to a doctor for a situation. What, what do you do if you're pregnant? Most women that are pregnant today they go to a doctor, right? So doctors do have a use. What if you're in so great a pain that it's just killing you? Take a painkiller. It's common sense. As long as the painkiller doesn't have any side effects. So doctors do have a role, but this church that we were in was teaching us not to ever go to a doctor. Of course, in those extreme cases, they didn't say not to go to one, but I'm just saying they, they were just so stringent upon us not going to a doctor that this little girl that had, she had the flu, right? She had some kind of whatever. She had some kind of infection, whatever, and she should have went to the doctor for it because they tried to do all they could and they couldn't do anything, and and she died. She died. And it was just a, it was just a horrible situation because the church was teaching that you, you shouldn't rely on doctors uh, in a situation like that. You know, my rule and God's rule for this is just common sense. Is first of all, you pray to God, get anointed, take herbs. If those two things don't work, then it's time to go to the doctor. Okay, that's that's the way it should be done. That's the way it should be done. Um, and but this church was teaching us, except for those situations that you know you break a bone, uh, pregnancies, uh, a bullet in your head or whatever, uh, it doesn't have to be in your head, but you know, uh, then you don't go to a doctor. Am I correct? They were teaching that, right? So you don't have to go to a doctor. And that one ruling killed a lot of people in the church. Okay, but the leader of the church. He was on blood trans. He had blood transfusions, and he was doing all he could to keep himself alive. 
So this is an example of hypocrisy, okay? And it's not just in, the, in Judaism, it's in all, all religions, all right? So anyway, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Um, where are we now? Where are we, Kennard? Okay, Matthew 11, verse 29 to 30. I'm going to read this in the um, King James Version because he says the word yoke up in here. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he was talking about. <laughs> he knew that one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why he came is to identify what was true and wasn't true about the oral tour. Okay? He kept many other things of the Orator, but there were some things, well, he actually said many things, uh, of the Orator that was way off track. It may be that 50% of it is correct and 50% of it isn't. I don't know. There are some good things in the Mishnah and the Talmud, and some things aren't good in the Talmud and the Mishnah. And he came, because he said hardly any of you keep the law, he said that. Uh, let me see if I can. It's in John chapter 7. Let me uh, hold your place here. John chapter 7. Yeah, John 7 verse 19. I'm going to read this in the King James. And this is a, to his own people. They weren't hardly keeping the law. Well, he said that none of them were, but I know when God says that, he means the majority, because, of course, John kept the law, right? John the Baptist and his, his mother and his father. He's saying that... The, the rampant law breaking was so bad that it, it was like everyone was not keeping it. You know, John seven verse nineteen. Did, did not Moses give you the law? And that's the reason why folks is called the law of Moses because God used Moses to give people the law. It's not that there's a, a difference between the law of Moses and the law of God. Okay, unless of course it's the oral law <laughs> that they claim that, and it's not scriptural that God gave Moses. Anyway, verse 19, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Okay? That's a plain statement that he stated there. So one of the major reasons why he came, as he stated, he came to fulfill, which means to help you understand the written Torah. Because, as he states here, because of the Pharisaic influence and everything, the misinterpretation through their traditions, a lot of them weren't keeping the law. So he came to straighten and said, hey, look, just like and you look at Matthew six and Matthew five six and seven, it's called the Sermon of the Mount, but what it really should be called is the Correction Sermon, because that sermon corrected many of or a few significant traditions that they were teaching that was against the law of God. Say so you have heard oral, you have heard that it was said, blah 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 blah. But this is what it is. Okay, so it, it was a correction sermon. All right, so uh, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 11. So uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 in the King James Version. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. So my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's laws are easy, and the yoke is easy anyway, and the burden is light. Okay, But versus the oral law, 
No, the oral law is burdensome. And it's like they explain in Acts chapter 15. It's a yoke that no one can bear. Now, why would the all-knowing God give us something that we can't deal with? Does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. Let's, let's use our common sense here, okay? In Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 12. Uh, Paul, and I, and I read to you at the beginning of this Bible study, you got to be careful about reading his epistles because if you if you don't if you're not careful and don't have the right background then you're going to twist them to your own destruction Romans 7 verse 12 Wherefore the law of the Torah is holy and the commandment holy just and good All right so if the commandment is holy and just and good how can it be a yoke that no one can bear Does that make sense no, it doesn't, okay? In uh, 1 John 5, verse 3, is, is really the kicker here. 1 John 5, verse 3. 36 minutes left, okay? For this is the love, um, reading the King James Version here, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Okay? So... Let me read this in an easy-to-read version. It's even a better translation. 1 John 5, verse 3. Loving God means obeying his commands. And God's commands are not too hard for us. Okay? So, let's use our brains. God gave us two of them. Okay? One on the left and one on the right. Okay? Let's just use them here. So, if God is saying that his law, his commandments, with a plural, S at the end, okay, are holy and good, and through the Apostle John, that they're not too hard for us, then there's no way on earth that in Acts chapter 15 they're talking about the written Torah. Now, now, if you guys don't understand that, I, I can't help you. you. You and the devil got something going, okay? Because the devil is very good at deceiving people. And God warned us through the Apostle Peter that Paul's epistles would be very difficult to understand if you don't have the right background. I have given you the correct background. If you don't believe it, then I can show you different sources. And there's other people that agree, not too many, but there's other people that agree with me, people that are more scholarly, I guess, than me, that I can point you to, okay? Um, now, let's get to this issue with the manner of Moses, okay? This is something that trips up a lot of people when they try to use Acts chapter 15, all right? And let's uh, read verse 1. And read this in the King James Version here. And that word manner. Oh, what did I do with this here? Here it is. All right, the word manner in original Greek is uh, ethos, okay? And it means a custom. Contrary to expectation, oh, wait, that's the cinnamon for it. Uh, custom, manners, custom. That's what it means, all right? It says, use your practice or manner, whether established by law or otherwise. Okay, so that's what manner means. So that word really should have been translated custom. And I think it is in, uh, yeah, in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible, it reads this. It says, but some men came down from Judea, and we're, and that's the West Bank today, and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, not the law of Moses, 
the custom of Moses, which is referring to the orator. You cannot be saved. So let me explain to you what a Jewish scholar is written in the Jewish New Testament commentary by David Stern. What was going on back then, okay? Uh, this is found on page 608 of the Jewish New Testament commentary by David H. Stern, who is a Jew. It says, in Shual's time, uh, and that's um, Paul's Hebrew name, Shaul, Shaul, that's, in, uh, that's his Hebrew name. The three elements of a Gentile proselyte's initiation, and that's someone who wants to convert over to Judaism, into Judaism was getting himself circumcised, immersing himself in a mikvah, which is the ritual bath or baptism, and offering a sacrifice at the temple. In today's Orthodox Judaism, the last is moot because there is no temple at which to sacrifice, but the other two remain as requirements for converts. These three elements are set forth in these verses. This is uh, found in, in Colossians 2, verse 11, which I hope to cover today. Are set forth in these five verses as having been effective for Gentiles who trust in Yeshua, even though they have not become Jews. Okay, so that's that's the way it was done back then. They had to be circumcised, and they had to be immersed in a mikvah, which proves that you know baptism was not something that was foreign back then in the first century. It's not something that Christ created. They were already doing that. Okay, and that's another Bible study in itself. And then offering a sacrifice at the temple, which in Hebrews chapter 13, is, is symbolic of this giving, a sacrifice, and giving your resources to help folks. So that's what you had to do to become a Jew and become saved, okay? And that's what they were teaching back then. They don't teach that today, but they were teaching that back then, that in order to be saved, to have salvation, you have to be a Jew. And the way they went about it is that you had to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses, not the written Torah, not the way God instructed Abraham to do, and then later on, Moses, okay? But to do it the way the orator stated, which God did not give to Moses. That's, that's unfortunately a lie. He did not give him a separate law. There was one Torah, okay? But the Jews believed the lie that there's another Torah, an orator, that God gave the Moses that's impeccable, that has no error. And then in this orator, he told them that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they don't teach this now because they teach the Noahide laws now, but back then, for uh, Jews to be saved, they have to be circumcised and to, to, to become a Jew, to be saved. And Christ, through his disciples, was teaching that you do not have to be a Jew to be saved. Okay? So that was the issue there as far as the custom of Moses. So, I mean, this is really, really, you got to break this down in this other scriptures too. Acts 21. Acts 21, verse 21. I'm going to read this in the easy, to, um, the easy to read version, I think. Let me see. Acts 21, 21. Okay, Acts 21, verse 21, easy to read version of the Bible. They have been told that they were false accusing Paul here because Paul never went against the written Torah, but him, uh, Jesus and the disciples, when it violated the written Torah, they did go against the orator, and that's what the conflict was. Okay, Acts 21, verse 21, they have been told that you teach the Jews who live in non-Jewish regions to stop following the law of Moses, and that's not true. 
they have they, what they did is tell them to stop following the the oral law of Moses that they conjured up out of nowhere uh, that violated the the written law of God. That's what they mean. They have heard that you tell them not to circumcise their sons and follow our other customs, the customs of Moses, not the, the written law of Moses. That's the big difference. And I hope I'm being clear to you. I, I don't know how much clearer I can be about this. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 14, it's another pivotal scripture. Now, this is the, um, the martyrdom of Stephen. And this is interesting because See, let me uh, read. I think in the King James version, it reveals a little more what was going on here. Yeah, here we go. Let me see if this is in the easy to read version here. Here we go. Yes, it is. All right. All right. Starting in verse ten, Stephen. But the spirit. In the easy to read version. But the Spirit was helping him speak with wisdom. His words were so strong that these Jews could not argue with him. In verse 11, so they told some men to say, we heard Stephen say bad things against Moses and against God. So that's what they were accusing him of. Now I'm going to go into detail. Verse 12, by doing this, these Jews upset the people, the older Jewish leaders, and the teachers of the law. They became so angry that they came and grabbed Stephen and took him to a meeting of the high council, which was the Sanhedrin. Verse 13, the Jews brought some men into the meeting to tell lies about Stephen. So they were lying um, about Stephen. These men said, this man is always saying things against his holy place and against the law of Moses. We heard him say that Jesus from Nazareth would destroy this place and change what Moses told us to do. So again, what Moses told us to do, and this is in the King James Version, uh, the customs, and it says right here in the King James Version in verse 14 of Acts chapter 6, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs, the customs, the oral law again, which Moses delivered us. It's not the written law of Moses, but the customs, their traditions, the same word, exactly the same word that was used, uh, that was translated manage, or it should have been translated customs, ethos, Okay? So that's what it's talking about again, and this is this is interesting because this is what Christians do. They they teach that the law of Moses is is gone, and this is what they accuse Stephen of doing. And Stephen didn't do that. He kept the law of Moses for the law of God. Okay, and then Acts chapter sixteen, verse twenty one. And this is, um, of course, Paul going through some troubles again with his fellow Jews. Acts 16, verse um, uh, starting in verse 20. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, in verse 20, and teach customs, here we go again, which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. I'm just showing this scripture to tell you what customs mean, okay? in this context of Scripture. And in Acts chapter 25,
And then this word manner here, that, that's, that's customs again, to uh, Act 25, verse 6, to whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans. So again, these manner, customs, is interpretation of, of the law, in this case, um, Roman law. Okay? Uh, and Acts 26, verse 3. And so Paul was talking to Agrippa, uh, Acts 26, verse 3, says, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all the customs and questions which are among the Jews. Again, that's talking about the oral law again. And Acts chapter 28, verse 17. And it came to pass that after the, the three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together and when they came together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers. Okay? So what Paul is saying here that he did not violate many of the traditions of, of the fathers, although he violated those that went against the law of God, the written law of God. Okay? And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Okay, Hebrews 10, verse 25, this, is, this word is manner is used again, and it should meet custom. Not forsaking, and this is something that unfortunately in the, in the true assembly of God we have a serious problem with. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, and this is a bad tradition, <laughs> as the, the manner or custom of some, but exhorting one another so much more as we see the day approaching. So this is listed as a bad example among the people of God today, a bad custom. A, ba a, a bad manner, okay? All right, so I hope I have explained what the custom of Moses is. It should be pretty obvious to, to anyone that that wants to believe what God says in the Scriptures, okay? Now, let's get to this issue with circumcision, and I hope I, I will have enough time to explain this, uh, because we need to explain this, because this the, the circumcision is used to say that we don't have to keep the law. And you have to understand what circumcision is. First of all, uh, let's let's look at a key scripture here. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse nineteen. Verse nine, rather. Verse nineteen. <laughs> Sorry. Verse nineteen. First Corinthians seven, verse nineteen. I'm going to read this in the King James version. It says, "Circumcision is nothing." And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. And that's a key scripture there because it's saying that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Now, one of the commandments of God, which is found through Abraham and then Moses, is to circumcise. So if this is saying circumcision is nothing and an uncircumcision is something, but the commandments of God, which includes the commandment of circumcision, then he must be talking about a different type of circumcision. Okay? And that t different type of circumcision that he's talking about, which I'm going to prove, is becoming a Jew. Because many times in, in his epistles, which I explained at the beginning of this Bible study, you better be careful reading his epistles. You have to understand what he's talking about. In most cases, when 
Paul is talking about circumcision, that is a Jewish idiom or slang for being a Jew. When he's talking about uncircumcision, that's Jewish slang or idiom for being a Gentile. In most cases, in his epistles. Okay? And that's what is meant, and this is one of his epistles here. Okay? And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19 says, Circumcision is nothing. In other words, being a Jew is nothing. And being a Gentile is nothing. But keeping of the commandments of God. One of those commandments found in Exodus and Leviticus is to circumcise your males, male babies, at the eighth day. Right? Eighth day. All right. Okay, so so uh, that commandment should be kept. And then there's, if you can go to Wikipedia and study circumcision, there's a lot of health advantages, too, to circumcise the male anyway. So God wouldn't tell you to do something if it didn't have any health benefit to it, and, and it does, you know. So anyway, that's another Bible study in itself. All right, let's look at Abraham, because Abraham, look, Abraham was not a Jew, folks. <laughs> okay? Abraham was not a Jew, all right, and he was circumcised, okay? So, and, and, he, and he was well, I'm going to read you a passage of the scripture that states that he was considered righteous before circumcision. All right, so, and of course, the Bible states that we're Abraham's children, those who believe in Christ, of course. And, of course, Jews are too, are Abraham's children. And let me let me quote this scripture, too, for those people that are not understanding what I'm, I'm saying, why I'm, I'm really emphasizing um, Abraham here. Abraham, and then the great Rabbi Rashi agrees with me, uh, Genesis 26, verse 5, says, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments. The commandments existed before Moses. My statutes and my laws. And that can be proved in Exodus chapter 16. And he says, How long will these people not obey my laws? So the laws existed before Sinai. He just, in a group setting, revealed the laws to them. But the laws existed before Sinai. There can be no sin without a law. That's what the Bible states. Sin is a transgression of the law. So the law had to exist before Sinai because people were sinning before then. So anyway, I just wanted to quote that scripture to you to, to help you to understand that Abraham kept the commandments. He kept the commandments of God the Sabbath, the holy days, to the best of his ability. All right. So, John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Beginning in verse 22. And I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'll answer your question. You have your hand risen up here. It says, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. So Moses did not come up with circumcision. God did, and he revealed it to Abraham first. Okay, And ye on the Sabbath circumcise a man. So in John 7, verse 22, Jesus revealed to us all in red letters that circumcision did not originate from Moses. It originated uh, from Abraham, through Abraham. 5702347832, you're on the air. Yes, I'm just calling in because I agree with a lot of what you're saying about what the Bible teaches about uh, that the law has to be kept. I don't know if you mm -hmm. went over this before I was on the air or I was listening in, but I, I haven't heard you go over Matthew five seventeen through 20 yet. Oh, I'm and getting ready to. Jesus, 
Okay, I was just I wanted to go over that because I thought that's about the clearest explanation you can give of that the law should be kept. Yeah, I'm gonna end. I'm gonna end the program with that. By the way, <laughs> so, okay. that, that's I was just I was just waiting for that and waiting for that because that's the because uh, that's so clear, crystal clear when you go through it that the, that should be kept. But my issue is that when we're speaking of the law, as you were saying, it's pretty much the uh, the law comes from the five books of Moses. Yes. Right. In most, uh, in by what they're talking about, because it's the Jewish I uh, originally. Jesus, the Jewish or the, uh, the Moses thought. Well, now, see, this is the way. That, I'm sorry. Let me just say that this is the way they think about the Bible, the Jews. Um, the first five books are the most important of all, and then second in priority are the prophets, and then third are the writings. That's what they believe. Okay, uh, I don't believe that, and neither did Jesus. Uh, Jesus believed that all the words of God including the words that his father gave him to say, which became the uh, the New Testament or Renewed Covenant uh, writings, are important. Okay, But the Jews, unfortunately, they put a priority on the first five books and then second priority on the prophets and then third priority on the writings. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helps you understand. <laughs> because what, the, what 517 through 20 says, it's not the least letter of the law should be I will be broken until heaven and earth has passed. And exactly. obviously, by the by the fact of the matter that we're still standing on earth, that means earth has not passed in any way whatsoever. Exactly. So, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and unfortunately, what, what's your name, sir? My name is Bill. Bill. Yeah, unfortunately, Bill, most people will, what is called eisegesis, as a method of understanding scripture, or anything for that matter, they'll put their own thoughts into those scriptures and say, well, wait a minute, he said fulfill. That means that he kept the law for us that we don't have to. But that's not what it's saying. If you read the rest of it, it's saying, hey, if you break the lease of these commandments, you'll be least in the kingdom of God. Yes, because when you fulfill, you fulfill, prophe- you fulfill prophecies, you don't fulfill laws in the first place. He's talking about fulfilling the prophets. That's mm-hmm. what he means in that passage, because you don't fulfill a law and then he even uh, goes further into that and then goes back to the laws and saying how to keep them. So it would make no sense if he's saying he fulfilled the laws and then goes back to saying to keep them. It's fulfilling right. the prophecies, what he's talking about. Right. Now, and now another... My, an, well, go ahead, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead, bring your point. I was, I was just uh, questioning what your uh, thought process on this is because you've been talking about the Sabbath day and mm-hmm. there's a... Uh, and, and Exodus 31, uh, 15, mm-hmm. it, uh, it has... Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath day of rest, which we both agree upon is Saturday. But that's near here and there. Holy to the Lord, whoever doeth work, any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Now, that's pretty much a vain and cut and dry law that says people should be killed for it. Now, I, I fail to see how that's something that we should hold up to today. Well, no, we can't. Well, yeah, he said vengeance is his. And see, and see, back then, God was as close as he ever has been, other than being in the Garden of Eden, uh, toward his people, okay? To some people, I should say, because everyone is his is children. And he just picked them to, to be an example or a light into the whole world, and they felt miserably in that. But but they won't in the future. But the thing is, you're, you're right, um, that law will be applied again when... Jesus or Yeshua, that's his Hebrew name, comes back 
on earth that will be applicable at that time but right now we can't do that because he's he's not dwelling in the temple right now he's not on the earth right now so that can't be applied so remember when he said that uh the true believers would keep uh, or obey him in spirit and in truth well we we keep the sabbath the best we can and if someone doesn't want to keep the sabbath we just don't go out like this this guy went and just went nuts killing people and, and shot the congressman in the head. We don't do that. That's that vengeance is God's, not ours. But that that kind of like uh, like I just want to uh, like make the point that that kind of counters what he's saying when he says not the least letter of the law. That kind of says that even the smallest point has to be upheld, and that is within the uh, point would be that that would have to be upheld and. I don't see anybody doing that today, and I'm glad that that's not happening. Don't get me wrong; I'm just saying it just kind of, it just kind of a little bit. Well, well, well how do you explain? Okay, when Joseph was in prison, right? I mean, how could he? You know what I'm saying? Joseph did the best he could to keep keep the law of God, but we know that he had he had great difficulty doing it, being in prison and being in Egypt at the time. So, I mean, there, there's other examples too. Uh, but the the logic in that situation is you keep the law of God to the best. Like right now, I mean, the commandment to keep the holy days. You have to go to Jerusalem. Well, what if you don't have any money to go to Jerusalem? What do you do? I mean, there, there are situations where Paul could not go to Jerusalem, but he still did the best he could to keep uh, some of the holy days. So in that situation, you just do the best you can. You do it in spirit and truth. But I understand your point, though. But that will be implemented when when uh, Yeshua comes back on the earth. All the law of God, as in Isaiah chapter two, will be implemented, including that one. If someone does not want to keep the Sabbath, because he came the first time as a lamb, the second time he's coming as a lion, and you don't want to get a lion angry. That's what he talks yeah. about in Psalm chapter two. You know, don't 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 get the sun angry because uh, if you do, you're going to suffer for it because he's he's tolerated us for almost over 6,000 years of doing it our way. Our way is not working. And right now we live in a world where, where so many people are starving. You have 26,000 kids dying every day. There's absolutely no excuse that we allow that. And it's all because we think that the law of God is done away with. You know? And, and it's not. So, okay, I just uh, wanted, that, yeah, I was just going to say, I just wanted to get your perspective on that because I was just kind of curious from listening in to what your thought on that was. So, Yeah, yeah. my thought is that, you know, since the temple is not constructed yet, and it will be, and God is not dwelling spiritually in the temple at this time, that that law, as far as killing people because they don't keep the Sabbath, is not applied at this time. Just like we can't give sacrifices to the temple today because there's no temple, right? How can you do okay. that? Okay. All right. That's right. yeah. That's what one of my basic question was. So I wanted to go over that. I'll let you get back to your uh, to your topic that you can end. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Okay, um, may have to pick up on this uh, next week a little bit. Well, actually, yeah, the majority of it. I'm gonna have to pick up. I'm gonna have to talk about circumcision a little bit more. But I wanted to go over um, circumcision. What is it? Why did God created in the first place and why do we have to observe it and what does it have to do with 
this issue about whether or not we have to keep the law or not. So I proved here in John 7, verse 22, that circumcision did not just come through Moses. It was it through Christ's own words. He stated that it came through the fathers, in particular the, the biggest father of all, the father of us all, Abraham, on a physical plane. Okay. Now, Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 10. says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. So circumcision is a sign that you have agreed to keep the law of God, his commandments. That's what circumcision is. Circumcision is not a ritual that you do to become a Jew. Now, one of the things you have to understand, too, there are 12 tribes of Israel. The tribe of Judah are Jews. So if you were just going to do circumcision, you would just become of the tribe of Judah. All right? So that, that doesn't really, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say here is circumcision is, is not just to become a Jew. As you're going to see, it looks like next week, <laughs> is that circumcision really is spiritual intent, is a, sim- a symbol of your willingness to obey the commandments of God and to cleanse your mind of all wickedness. That's what circumcision is. The foreskin is representation of sin. All right? So anyway... And I'm going to prove that to you next week through the scriptures. But anyway, verse 10, this is my covenant or agreement. That's what a covenant is. Many people think covenant means law. It means agreement, okay, um, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. All right, so that's that's what it represents. And let me turn to Colossians 2, verse 11, because I don't have too much time here. I just want to prove to you about the, the foreskin being represent, represent, uh, representing uh, sin. Colossians 2, verse 11. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision, Colossians 2, verse 11, made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, okay, by the circumcision of Christ. So when you accept Christ, folks, you are circumcised according to this scripture through the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit represents spiritually a circumcision of of getting all the sin out. Okay, so Genesis chapter 17. And verse 12, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation, that he is born in the house or brought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and that he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. 
and the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of the foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this, this circumcision law must be obeyed, folks. It's not something to be played around with, and it's something that every man should do. Now, the issue was this must be done in the first century for them to be saved. Well, that's not the case. Being, having a mikvah or a immerse, immersement or baptism was priority. After that, they learn about the law of God, and then they eventually become circumcised. That's that's the way, if, if they're not already circumcised. I'm already circumcised, and I think many Americans are already circumcised. But if you're not, then you should, according to the law of God, become circumcised. Not only because God says so, but for health reasons. It's, it's very, very helpful to be circumcised. Uh, doctors have proven that circumcision is, is beneficial to a man. All right, so anyway, Galatians 3, verses 6 to 7. And I tell you, Galatians is a, is a an epistle of Paul that is very, very much misunderstood because people don't understand that the, the circumcision that he's talking about in most cases is talking about being a Jew, the, the circumcision ritual of becoming a Jew. But I'm quoting these scriptures to prove to you what he, God says about Abraham. In Galatians 3, verse 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. If you are a child of Abraham, then you obey the law like Abraham did. And you will become circumcised like he did. And let me remind you that Christ was circumcised too. Okay, and if you want to follow Christ, let's go there if you guys don't believe that. In Luke chapter 2, it states here that he was circumcised. Let's see. I can find it here. But Christ was circumcised. Let's see if I can find it. I know it's in here somewhere. Yeah. Luke 2, verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, you people that say, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I believe in the Lord. Well, if you do, are you circumcised? Because he was circumcised. And in 1 John 2, verse 6, it states we ought to follow in his footsteps. Okay, so if our Lord and Savior was circumcised, then you become circumcised. And he went by the circumcision law that's found in the, in the first five books of the Torah, or the law. Not the Jewish ritual, because he was already a Jew, so why, why did he need to be circumcised to become a Jew? Okay, so let's use our common sense again, folks. All right, and, you know, all these answers of what God is and why he is and so forth is in the Bible, and we need to stop listening to folks who don't know what they're talking about and 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 listen to people who aren't popular like myself because that's what who God uses these days. Or He's always used people who weren't so popular 
Sometimes they were, but the majority of people he uses are people that are spat on, <laughs> not thought of highly, to to uh, show you how powerful he is. That's why he does it. So, and then you know, you never follow anyone unless they prove to you out of the scriptures that they they know what they're talking about. In other words, when they say something, you see it there. But if they say something, if you don't see it there, that's when you need to to have question marks. Just like the the gentleman had a question mark about that. But I don't know if he was implying that we should go kill people and keep the Sabbath. No, we don't do that because God is not here on the earth for that law to be implemented. And and, and also, I, I hope I clarified that by the fact that, hey, we still are required of the law, even Gentiles are required to give sacrifices to the temple, but there's no temple, so how can we give sacrifices? We give them spiritually, as Hebrews chapter 13 explains. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to pick up on circumcision here next week. May God bless and keep you, and God willing, I'll be back next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 